Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to American Medicine Today, presented by the Bonatti Spine Institute, featuring the internationally acclaimed inventor of the Bonatti Spine Procedures, Alfred Bonatti, MD. Once again, here are Dr. Bonatti and your host, Kimberly Brumell. You're listening to American Medicine Today. I'm Kimberly Brumell, joined by our radio executive producer, Ethan Euchre. I am here. We have a great show lined up for you today. We'll revisit our interview with an Israeli scientist who created a fully vascularized human heart using a 3D printer. It's pretty incredible. Then we'll hear a story of recovery, and finally, we'll find out what's new in American medicine today. But up first, we have Dr. Joan Nichols, Associate Director of Research and Operations at the Galveston National Laboratory in Texas. Now, she was a guest of ours back in January, and she's back on to discuss how her team of scientists have successfully grown human lungs in a lab in just three days, and she's back to give us an update on how a recent transplant procedure went. So thanks for being here, Dr. Dr. Nichols. Well, good afternoon. Nice <laughs> to speak with you. Nice to speak with you, too. Well, and to start out, too, since you are a returning guest, mm-hmm. maybe we should just sort of Recap. summarize for people that maybe missed the first time you were on. Uh, just give us a brief synopsis of, you know, the amazing research that uh, you all do uh, over there in Galveston. So for the, for the last 15 years, uh, my research group is trying to develop even small amounts of lung tissue to um, in the laboratory situation. This would be human lung tissue. Okay. Well, last year, we were able, we were actually the first group to generate lab-grown bioengineered human lungs, you know, in our laboratory. And so this, this is a really big deal, and we talked about this before, where we actually take lungs that can't be used for transplantation, mm-hmm. and we discard about 10,000 of these a year. So we can take these lungs that can't be used for regular transplantation for people, and some of them we can use to make scaffolds, which are the support structures for the lungs themselves, and some we use as a cell source. Um, and the three-day part is we can make a scaffold in three days. It takes me actually about six weeks to produce a fully formed structure with cells on it that actually looks and, and acts like long. It's, Amazing. It's incredible. And so the reason we're having you back on the show is because you guys actually grew a, a set of lungs for a pig, right? Mm-hmm. And then you actually transplanted them into a live animal. Actually, that's what exactly what we did. So <laughs> we removed the lung um, from our first pig in February on the 16th. We isolated all the cells from one of the lungs from this pig because we wanted, we had to see whether or not if we grow cells that I take from you and I make a lung for you, if I grow it outside your body, is your body going to say, welcome home, or is your body going to say, forget it and, and reject it? Right. And so these cells had to come from the pig himself. So, and pigs like people can survive on one lung. And the pigs survived very well while we took those cells, cultured them to increase their numbers, and then seeded a scaffold from a different pig. Um, and then grew that lung for um, about six weeks, hmm. and then we transplanted that single lung back into the same pig, and that's that's what the big deal is that we've done a, a real transplant. And the transplant, the pig did very well, and the transplanted tissue, um, 
you know, it, it expanded the way the normal lung would. It looked very much and functioned very much like normal lung. And that's that's the biggest step that, I mean, for us, we're so excited about it. But for anybody that does bioengineered tissue, there hasn't been a lot of progression to do this type of transplant work. And we've learned so much from just doing this first pig. Wow. And so how has the animal responded to, to this transplant? And his name is um, his name is Harry, isn't it? Harry was Harry our first pig. pig. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know the animals that we we use. For, we're very aware of, of being very um, reasonable about doing animal studies, but we really have to do this to understand what we would do for people as we de- develop the procedure. Harry was on his feet the same day. He um, did a, had amazing progress. We actually sent you a small videotape showing Harry, who is actually I want, wanted me to open the cage door and feed him. We give him snacks when we go to see him. He was pretty spoiled. But, uh, you know, moving around, jumping around, they gave him toys within a couple of days because he was bored. Aww. He was absolutely in, in amazing shape. There was no no signs of rejection, no infection. Um, and he he did beautifully through the whole um, experimental time frame, which was 15 days. And unfortunately, we had to euthanize him at 15 days, not because he had to be, but because we had to be able to evaluate his own response to the, the tissue we put in, and we needed to know what was happening to that bioengineered lung. Was it developing vascular tissue? Was it surviving well? Was there any any area that wasn't functioning properly that would have caused a problem for him. Dr. Nichols, you, you, yeah. you can't see this right now, but Kimberly has the most <laughs> appalled face <laughs> on no, right I, now. I, I know you things know, have to happen you know, Kimberly, for research. It's, I understand. Kimberly, you want to know something? <laughs> we all stood around with before Carrie had to be euthanized, yeah. and we, we, we were depressed for days. But I'm yeah. sure. We needed to know this because I need to know if we're going to put this in a person. Mm-hmm. I understand. Specifically, if we're going to engineer lungs for a, a pediatric case in a child, True. Um, we, we had to do this. Yeah. But our plan is is that although Perry was the first pig and wasn't to be survived, that there are pigs down the line that, that our, our third and fourth pigs will be survived as long as they possibly can. Okay. You know, before they get bigger than 500 pounds. That's, right. that's our only limit here with handling an animal that's really large. But oh, the plan is, is to survive them and make sure that we have long-term survival. But Harry, Harry was, we appreciated him. I mean, we all were, were very um, involved because we handled him every day to, to evaluate his, his surgical site and to listen for his, his uh, respiratory function. Um, but Harry was an, was an amazing you know, a part of this experiment that's the only way that we can prove that these tissues would survive and function for people. Gotcha. So uh, we're just about okay. out of time, Dr. Nichols. So what's next? When will you be able to um, test on human beings? Um, I would say probably this is going to be a compassionate use, and I'm seeing it maybe six to eight years down the line. We still have a lot of work to do in the next year to evaluate. There's going to be a few more pigs. We do our next pig transplant on June 2nd. And that will be pig number two. That her name is Julia. We already have her on site, <laughs> and we're going to do exactly the same thing we did for Harry because we need to prove that if we do this exactly the same way, it works every time. Perfect. All right. Well, Dr. Joan Nichols, some amazing research you guys are doing there. She's the associate director of research and operations at the Galveston National Laboratory in Texas. Appreciate you joining us on American Medicine today. Thank you very much. All right. I'm very Take sorry, care. Kimberly. No, it's okay. Though. It's okay. I know it's what, it's what we have to do sometimes. Yep. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Uh, Nichols, thank you. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. 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 Crazy, crazy stuff. And the fact that they'll probably be doing this 
in human beings in the next, what'd you say, five to eight years? Hopefully. No. No, no euthanizing. <laughs> Fair. Huh? Well, oh. um, I know the small price to pay, right, to have advancements in medicine, mm-hmm. and this is a big one. So uh, thank you to Harry the Pig. Yeah. Oh. Well, <laughs> For you're his listening. sacrifice. Absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. you're listening to American Medicine today. Make sure you stay tuned. Coming up after the break, a story of recovery. You're listening to American Medicine Today, presented by the Bonatti Spine Institute. Featuring internationally acclaimed inventor of the Bonatti Spine Procedures, Alfred Bonatti, MD. Once again, your host, Kimberly Bermel Bonatti, and co-host Ethan Euchre and Jeff Wagstaff. Thank you for joining us for American Medicine Today. I'm Kimberly Bonatti, along with my friends Ethan Euchre. Glad to be here. And Jeff Wagstaff. Hello, friends. Hello. So you hear all the time people that are struggling with pain and they go to doctors and either they're being told nothing can be done or sure, we can do these highly invasive procedures where you're exchanging one pain for another and we can slit you down the front to get to the back. But here at the Bonatti Spine Institute, we take the direct approach. If you need the back of your spine, we're going through the back of the spine. We're not going to go through the front to get to the back. Direct is always better. It's one thing when you hear me talk about it. It's another one you hear from the patient themselves. It's today's Back to Life segment, a story of recovery. We will talk to a patient of the Bonatti Spine Institute who went from living a life restricted by pain and discomfort through their journey of finding the Bonatti Spine Institute and now living pain-free. It is my pleasure to introduce to the program Rendy Hughes from Lithia, Florida. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. So, Rendy, how did you come to be in pain? Was it something degenerative in nature, or did you have some sort of accident or mishap? I think it's all of the above. Okay. Um, when I had my son uh, over 23 years ago, I had a botched epidural. Ooh. That seemed to be the start of some of my problems. Okay. Um, I had went to a neurosurgeon for about seven years before we decided to have surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, I had been diagnosed with degenerative disc disease. Oh, um, okay. About 20 years ago, he had told me that I'd have to have surgery again in about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And after about 12 years, I started having trouble again. And that's when I started looking for alternatives to conventional back surgery. Okay. And how was that pain affecting your daily activities? Goodness, it, it was just everything as simple as even taking a walk was was challenging to putting my shoes on. Mm-hmm. Um, it just everything in my life, I, as far as cleaning, housework, uh, couldn't do any of that. Okay. And how about interactions with your family? Um, very challenged. I'd be sitting in the recliner most of the time and I don't feel like I'm old enough to be sitting in a recliner all the time. Um, and my free time, it's hard for me to, it was hard for me to do my job at the time because I walked a lot. Okay. And so what, what line of really work? What line of work? Um, I'm a, re- I'm a real estate agent. Ah, so yes. Um, did you have a challenge trying to climb stairs? I'm assuming in uh, commercial real estate, there's probably a few stories to the buildings that you're showing? Oh, yeah, definitely. That that has always been a challenge of mine. It, it is. Okay. Still is. <laughs> and where on your body did you feel the pain? Um, my lower back and my hip area. Okay, so it kind of radiated lower back to hip? Yeah, radiated and, and burned. That's oh. what the pain felt like. Okay, and did it ever affect your ability to walk as far as either a climbing stairs or uh, like foot drop, anything yeah. like that? Yeah, it, that along with standing for extended periods of time, it was 
it's very difficult to do that as well. Okay. And how did you remedy that pain? Did you have surgery? Did you try conservative-type treatments? Oh, gosh. I did all kinds of things. You know, the traditional doctors wanted to put me on um, painkillers, which I wasn't for that. I, I didn't really think that was a solution. Correct. Um, I have done acupuncture. I've done chiropractor. I've done restorative yoga. I've taken uh, anti-inflammatory um, supplements from natural food stores. Right. I've done a lot of different things to try to manage my pain. And it, it seems like between all of those, it's manageable. But the, the surgery actually makes me able to be more mobile again. And, and then that's really what I need. I'm not ready to be just sitting in a And you had a surgery back in 2002 with another place. And how did Mm -hmm. that go? Actually, it went very well. Um, It was a longer recovery time. Okay. So um, it probably took me, gosh, six to eight weeks to really get back to feeling good and and get back around and and bounce back and recover. Okay. Um, Where when I had surgery at Dr. Bonatti, within a couple of weeks, I was ready to go again and feeling pretty good. All right. And you did very well by not wanting to go the path of trying to take painkillers and masking pain and doing pain management because it says what it does. It's managing pain, but it's not eradicating pain. So problems compound over time. Oh, agreed. And Mm -hmm. I I think there's a whole other set of issues that you get into with the um, painkillers anyway. Mm-hmm. And I, Addictions. I just didn't want to get into that. Correct, correct. And how did you come to find the Bonatti Spine Institute? Actually, I was doing research online, and I had actually went to a competitors of um, Dr. Bonatti's first. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a large organization downtown, and they would not do my surgery. And did they give you I a thought, reason? Well, yeah, they would not do my surgery. They said it was too complicated ah. to do it. So I thought, well... I'll call Dr. Bonatti mm-hmm. up in Hudson and see if he would do it. And <laughs> um, Dr. Grossmith was able to successfully do the surgery, and mm-hmm. I was extremely happy. I need to preface things by saying um, people talk about competitors, but the one thing that we always try to get across is Dr. Bonatti has per- been performing the Bonatti spine procedures for over 35 years. And though people try to blur issues by pretending they do just plain old minimally invasive, he has targeted precision procedures and they're exclusive and patented to Dr. Bonatti and the Bonatti Spine Institute. So he's, and, a, he's in a league of his own, mm-hmm. basically. And the other thing you said that we want to spotlight is the fact that this other uh, corporation turned you down saying your problem was too difficult to treat. And Dr. Bonatti loves the more difficult cases because he knows he can make a notable difference. And those are the ones he thrives on and he accepts are the ones other doctors turn away. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we've said that, why don't you explain um, what your visit was like when you entered the Bonatti Institute? Were you um, apprehensive at all coming in? Well, you know, traditional medicine um, makes it you have that predisposition to be a little apprehensive. Mm-hmm. But um, I can say that coming to Benati was totally different. When you first walk in the door, there's, um, what's his name, Phil? Paul. 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 I got it at the door. Paul, Paul. Yes. 
He's great. I mean, he's very nice and very welcoming. Mm -hmm. But the whole procedure or the whole experience was very different for me. Correct. Um, What I really liked about it was there was a set time, set appointment time. Yes. And the procedure that you go through to go through all the steps and the processes are very um, efficient. Um, The fact that I could actually get the MRIs on site and have Mm -hmm. an answer the same day from the actually seeing the doctor was amazing to me. Yes. We really enjoyed the um, support that we got from uh, post-surgery. There was a, a couple of very great, good people that they would call and help mm-hmm. us out. And, and this last time, I'm actually going back for another surgery um, in December. Okay. And um, everybody's there except Eric. He retired. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There, which is really yes. cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, people are with us and they retire um, after years and years of service um, with the facility. And we miss those people because they are like family. Um, but the one goal is always trying to bring uh, relief to the incoming patient so that they can get on with their lives and get back to their normal or fun activities that they had to give up. Now, I did want to ask, when did you feel a relief of the pain that brought you in? Because um, obviously you're going to have the surgery site pain because there is an incision, but that agonizing pain that kept you from being able to go up steps or be able to lift your your foot, um, when did those agonizing pains uh, cease to exist? Well, What's amazing is it happens almost it happens right after you wake up mm-hmm. from surgery and you uh, you know you're walking around and realizing that while you still have the incision pain you don't have the other uh, limitations that you had before surgery right so that's, that's pretty encouraging <laughs> and we use something called conscious IV sedation it affects everyone differently some remember very vid- vividly the discussions and the back and forth and and other people not so much but they always have you try to recreate your pain in the OR and what was recovery like for you my recovery in general was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. I have um, allergies that we've since discovered to the anesthesia Ooh, that okay. the Bonatti people have been great with yes. helping me through it. But, mm-hmm. you know, as far as just physically recovering um, from the surgery, it was it was fine. It was my allergies that, that maybe hindered me a little bit longer from recovery. Mm-hmm. But I would say within, you know, really within two weeks, it was, I was ready to go, okay. ready to go and, and really take on, um, you know, take on my life again. And I I wanted to interject because you talked about having pain and then needing to come back. And I just want to be clear that this is something that was mentioned to you when you were first in with us, that there were other areas to tackle. And it's those areas you're looking to to have done. Yes, what I want to what I want to be very clear on is I've been to multiple doctors, Mm -hmm. and every doctor has told me I need a fusion. Right. Which I'm not interested in at this point in my life. I feel like I'm too young for something like that. And Absolutely. once they start putting nuts and bolts in your back, they mm-hmm. have to keep doing it. Yes. So mm-hmm. um, the Bonatti Institute is the only place that I've been able to find that actually gives me the hope that I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And this surgery, because I have some significant issues, is just an ongoing, uh, I call it the maintenance plan for me, <laughs> to, keep me <laughs> to keep me moving along. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, for me, it's just a, because I have, of the severity of some of the problems I have, this mm-hmm. is just a normal, normal behavior, normal 
normal process to get back to where I need to be. Correct. And the one thing I need to uh, to speak to is the fact that at the Bonatti Spine Institute, no hardware fusions are ever used. We don't believe in them. And in fact, he developed, and by he, I mean Dr. Bonatti, developed patented tools for hardware removal. So we are able to bring about pain relief for the patient, eradicating the source of the pain, doing so without any of those instruments. So for anyone listening, um, Hardware fusion has a high failure rate, one level, 65% failure. Two to three level fusions yield 85% failure rate. And within a couple years, most of those fail. So uh, thank goodness you made your way to the Bonatti Spine Institute and are back enjoying the life you love. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the program. Randy Hughes from Lithia, Florida. Thank you for sharing your story of recovery. Thanks, Randy. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye. I always like hearing the stories from the patient because you can hear how bad she was before the procedures and how good life can be after them. Coming up after the break, we'll revisit our interview with an Israeli scientist in Tel Aviv who created a fully vascularized human heart using a 3D printer. Stay tuned. You're listening to American Medicine Today, presented by the Bonatti Spine Institute, featuring internationally acclaimed inventor of the Bonatti Spine Procedures, Alfred Bonatti, M.D., once again, your host, Kimberly Bermel Bonatti, and co-host Ethan Euchre and Jeff Wagstaff. I am so excited about this next guest. I'm Kimberly Bonatti, joined by Ethan Euchre. Also excited. Yes, Jeff Wagstaff. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Mm-hmm. And world-renowned orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Alfred Bonatti. Hello. In fact, Dr. <laughs> Bonatti was instrumental in uh, choosing this next guest because of the article that he read. Mm-hmm. So for the first time ever, Israeli scientists have created a vascularized human heart that completely matches the anatomical properties properties of a human patient using a 3D printer. Joining us right now is Nadav Neuer, who was part of the research team that worked on the project at Tel Aviv University. Thank you for being here. Hey, Nadav. Yeah, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. And this is pretty much universally being called a major medical breakthrough. Tell us about the research and what your team has accomplished. Yeah, so um, uh, we showed uh, in the, our recent uh, article the proof of concept of, for uh, generating uh, hearts and uh, heart tissues uh, containing uh, blood vessels, and we used uh, 3D printing technology to do that. And uh, another novelty in this is that for the first time we used uh, both uh, materials and cells that are originated from the patient itself. Why this time you create that vessels, and why the previous uh, 3D printing in the heart was without vessels. Yeah, so there's many other uh, researchers before us that showed uh, the ability to create blood vessels. Uh, also, there were researchers that showed uh, printing hearts, uh, but uh, or that the hearts were without any cells, uh, or that the materials were uh, synthetic. Uh, or, uh, or inferior to what we believe our material. Mm-hmm. And uh, we believe that the, the patient-specific material that we created here uh, will, uh, because it originated from the patient itself, actually, will uh, not uh, make any rejection or any immune response, actually, in the, in the patient after the transplantation in the future. Wow. Now, you're you're saying that right now the size of the 3D printed heart is very small, about the size of a rabbit's. 
how do you transition from that size to a human size heart? Yeah, we printed only a, a small scale heart right mm-hmm. now. It's about a rat's heart uh, size. Okay. But we really believe that we can use the same technology and process to print uh, larger objects. Okay. Even a human heart uh, size. How long? Uh, the material itself is supposed to be enough. Uh, the, the stem cells just need to be proliferated more to okay. accomplish that. Uh, it, it will take longer. I mean, this printed took us about uh, three to four hours. Hours? We believe it will take uh, maybe even days, but uh, we believe that this approach will be sufficient to create this. This process. This could be life-changing to patients that are dying, waiting to get on a list for an organ transplant. Yeah, it's really important for me to note that uh, still very a very long way until it's going to be a really functioning organ. I mean, sure. okay. we just reached the stage of uh, printing this uh, organ. Sure. And uh, But the cells are not communicating, and uh, there is still this uh, construct needs to be matured into a, a functioning uh, a blood pumping uh, organ. Okay. How long do you think that process would take? Are we talking years, decades? Yes. It's, it's really hard for me to <laughs> uh, to say exactly how much it's going to take, but uh, it's going to take a very long time. I mean, we believe that we in, uh, in a few years we're going to be able to uh, mature this uh, organ. Uh, but still, there's a very much R and D needs to be done uh, until it's going to be a really functioning organ. I believe it at least ten to twenty, I don't know, years. But why, why it's not a functioning organ? Because the ones that we do with the 3D printing and the small and small hearts, they are working hearts. What's the difference with this one? Just the size. You mean the hearts that we printed? Yes. About? Yeah. yeah. The hearts that we printed, the, the cells are alive, but they are still, we can't grow them in machines that we have right now. We are un- unable to grow them uh, to communicate with each other and to work uh, synchronously. And this is a very long process that we still need to work on. How to grow them to make a pumping, a blood pumping organ, actually. Nadav, I, I think what Dr. Bernardi's talking about is there was, um, in the past year or so, a story where there were 3D printed hearts that did beat, because I think we covered it on the yes. show here. Mm-hmm. I think the difference between the two is what Nadav and his team are doing are printing them with tissue <laughs> from the actual, uh, it's actual the, living yeah, human tissue. Yes, I think I think that's the difference, I believe. Yeah, I yeah, I guess, yeah, because um, as far as we know, yeah, there were or, or uh, synthetic materials or uh, uh, without any cells. So here, yeah, the cells and the materials both originate from the patient itself. Okay. This is the main advantage that we showed. Nadav, as an American Jew, I cannot tell you how proud I am that this technology comes from Israel. But... <laughs> Please understand. Everything comes from Israel. Please, please excuse my ignorance because I don't have the level of intelligence that you or Dr. Benati has. I understand, and I think this is a question that most people listening might have. I understand the concept of basic 3D printing, but I always thought that it was with traditional substances. The question in my mind as we're talking is when you print the heart you're printing it living breathing living tissues with cells so how are you creating the the material 
that creates the heart. Does that make sense? Clearly not. <laughs> well, no, no. What I'm saying is, is I know that they make they, they can make uh, something a three print something three D out of metal right. or plastic, right? But they're creating living cells that they're. That's the part where there's the disconnect, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people living at home are probably thinking, how are they creating? How are they printing? living tissue well and i think to jump off what you're saying nadav why don't you define i think it's a term that you use saying 3d printed that word printed because people understand what that means but it's yeah it's a lot different than a traditional printer right yeah so this was a very (laughs) large a very big challenge for us because there are materials i mean the gel that we are creating from the the human tissue the fatty tissue it's a very soft gel. It's, it's, if we just going to print it in the air, uh, it's just going to be a, a pool of, of gel. It's, it doesn't hold. So the major uh, breakthrough that we did in this research was to uh, formulate a special uh, supporting material. If, if you saw the movies, we always, always print inside like a small jar of uh, red uh, medium. And this special material holds the, the gel that we are printing, the gel mixed with the cells, of course. Uh, it holds this uh, material together until we finish the the printing process, which is a layer by layer uh, additive manufacturing. Uh, every time we do one layer, and then when we finish, we have the the object, the heart. Uh, we warm it to physiological temperature to 37 degrees. And uh, what's special about our material that it it, um, it stiffens after this uh, warming, and then we can just take it out of the of the supporting material. Of this, this special formulation, absolutely incredible. So this allowed us to print these very soft uh, materials mm-hmm. uh, into such uh, accurate and uh, high-resolution uh, 3D objects. That's amazing because we we have covered 3D bioprinting of other organs, mm-hmm. and with great success, they have been introduced into the human body, where people have lived decades without issue and perfectly um, with these organs. So I can only imagine the amazing accomplishment that this will be mm-hmm. with further research. But are you planning to do anything with any other organs, or are you just looking to focus on the heart? So uh, our labs are focused ma- mainly on uh, uh, cardiac tissues and uh, also in, uh, neuronal uh, tissues. Okay. Uh, but uh, I believe we will uh, expand more now, we recruiting more students uh, so great. My uh, professor Taldrier trying to reach, I guess, most of the tissues now. Yeah, so I really think that because this is only in the beginning. I mean, this—it's all the time. It's uh, stating breakthrough. I think it's only one stage in a many steps still uh, printing organs, which will take <coughs> years. Yes. For now, the really most important thing is to keep on donating uh, organs and uh, and list to the list to to donate. Yes. Because this is the only treatment now for uh, heart failure. So just don't stop donating. And this is the most important thing. Now let's go ahead and create the, the 3D printing fast. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Step up your game, Nadav. Yeah. That's what we're saying. <laughs> no, very great work. Go yeah. ahead, Jeff. And Nadav, a quick personal question before we go. Are they still celebrating in the streets about the re-election of uh, Bibi Netanyahu? Bibi. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who. No. <laughs> no. Oh no. Well, we are. Okay, well, we are. He's not celebrating. That's <laughs> right. I apologize if uh, sore topic. No, that was no. an inappropriate well, question, anyway. sir. <laughs> but we are huge fans of Bibi. Yeah.
Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, thank you so much for being on the program, Nadav Neuer, um, part of the research team that uh, worked on this project of creating 3D printed hearts at mm-hmm. Tel Aviv University. Thank you so much. Great work, Nadav. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Take you. Care. Well, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, Doc always points out how much great, and I noticed as the guest booker for the show how many people consistently week in and week yes. out that we have on that are from Israel. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what's coming out of there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Strong Can't wait to follow unit. this one as it progresses. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to American Medicine Today. Make sure you stay tuned. Coming up after the break, what's new in American Medicine Today? You're listening to American Medicine Today, presented by the Bonatti Spine Institute. Featuring internationally acclaimed inventor of the Bonatti Spine Procedures, Alfred Bonatti, MD. Once again, your host, Kimberly Bermel Bonatti, and co-host Ethan Euchre and Jeff Wagstaff. Thanks for hanging in there. We're, we are still all here. Myself, Kimberly Bonatti, alongside Ethan Euchre. Happy to be here. Our friend Jeff Wagstaff. Howdy, howdy. And sharing his time with us is world-renowned orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Alfred Bonatti. I'm sharing very little time. <laughs> Let's look at what's new in medicine today, featuring Alfred Bonatti, MD. Can we get a round of O Canada? Oh, Canada. That's all I got. Like, <laughs> that was pretty good. That, that was great. With a little practice, we could all have a four-port harm. In all of us, command. Harmony. All right. Why are we talking about Canada, Doc? Well, the <laughs> medical problems in Canada are enormous, man. <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's, another, it's another... Healthcare it's another. is good. We like Canada. It's free healthcare, yes. right? Everybody gets top-notch free health care in oh, Canada. Oh, immediate health care. Is that not right, Doc? Well, I don't think I can continue talking if you guys are so clear <laughs> on these statements. We're just but dripping the, with sarcasm. The major, the major problem with Canada is that they, they have another socialistic type of an approach to health care. Mm-hmm. Every time that the politicians touch something in health care, the ones that they suffer are two types of a population. One is the patients suffer pretty bad, mm-hmm. and the other one is the doctors suffering pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So what really happened is that the patients have no health care, and the physicians tell their families, do not go to medicine. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that happens, you start to have a changes on the health care education. So what happened, you start to have those quote-unquote nurse practitioners becoming doctors now. Medical providers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And providers. the doctors start to also suffer a reduction on time of training. Mm-hmm. So instead to have the, the seven years training that a physician needs to have to be able to mature as mm-hmm. a doctor, then they start to reduce that number to five years, that is now. Mm-hmm. And then they start to reduce that number to four years, that uh-huh. is in the major schools now. And then they start to go to, how about if we try two years? It's like... We do that in the U.S. That is something Obama, that was one of his favorite things to do, fast-tracking the path to become a doctor. Yeah, but you need, you need to keep talking about Obama. Obama's an idiot. He <laughs> was an idiot at the time that he was a president, and that's the cause why we have a problem in the country. True. That's why we have inherent in Obamacare yes. that destroy health care, and mm-hmm. still millions of people pay for that one, mm-hmm. and still there are a lot of people that they don't even understand what happened in the health care thanks to Obama. Okay, let, let's talk... Though about the healthcare in Canada, free, it's free. 
There's no price tag. Am I right? Well, it's not true because really uh, the the taxpayer is being, the the individual Mm -hmm. is being taxed. How much? Is being taxed great big numbers to be able to pay for the healthcare. So to the tune of 10,500 per year. Initially, they said that the healthcare in Canada, uh, the expenses that they account per patient Mm -hmm. is around 7,500 per patient per year. Mm -hmm. But then they go and they said, everybody is paying around $10,500 that they come from your pocket Mm -hmm. in taxes plus what the government is is using as healthcare. Right. So at the very end, nothing is for free. Now, I, I have to say that so many people say to you, how dare you talk about socialism and the problems in these other countries? But you've seen it firsthand. Not only have you seen it in other countries, you've seen it right at your own institute where people are fleeing Canada to be treated by you because they were on a wait list for at least a year. And they were stunned, stunned that they could get care by you, a doctor, a specialist, within days to weeks. Anytime that you have a problem, the the socialistic uh, uh, type of medicine divides the service to a patient in three groups. Mm-hmm. One group is pediatrics that is practically being abandoned. The mm-hmm. kids, they need to survive by strength. And if they don't, they die. That's fine. Right. <laughs> and the other group that suffer is the elderly. The 65 years old that they consider retirees are also a waste for the country. So the only thing that they want that they die as soon as possible so they don't use the money of the healthcare. So what they do is they restrict the healthcare. If you have a problem in the United States on your hip and the doctor look at your hip and say you have a degenerative hip and you're in a lot of pain, you need to have surgery, you can have surgery the next day. Mm. Right. Okay. If you go to Canada and you say that, you need to wait a year before. Mm-hmm. And in that year, your, your life deteriorates so bad, not only because you cannot walk, mm-hmm. so you're going to put a lot of weight. Not only you're going to put a lot of weight, you're going you're gonna to create problems with your heart. Emotionally, you are depressed. And physically, you're impaired. So what you end is being treated after a year or more for something that here we can treat in one day, and when they treat you, you have so many complications that probably you're really going to die. Mm-hmm. So this is the problem that the Democrats create. They talk about service to the people for free. No, mm-hmm. it's not free. It's service to the people who can produce some money that is the middle group between 20 and 65, that group is going to be directed healthcare because they are paying taxes and they are working. The other two group, the healthcare for kids and the healthcare for elderly, is mm-hmm. totally abandoned in any socialistic society. Mm-hmm. And that's a look at what's new in medicine today with Alfred Benati, MD. In those socialistic uh, countries, you become obsolete. You should really check out that Twilight Zone episode because it is poignant. 
with what's happening here in the country. Make sure you check us out again next week on American Medicine Today. And make sure you check us out on TV on WGN America, 8.30 a.m. Saturdays. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free any time anywhere even at 30,000 feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus